0: Tompkins.
1: Hey, how you doing everybody? This is real talk. I am Ben Tompkins coming at you live from the Woodspring Suites on Dresden out here in Atlanta. Man, I got two more weeks left in this hotel room and then I'm in my apartment. Things are looking up. It's been a tough couple of weeks. Got sick for a minute. Have just been learning as much as I possibly can. The old saying, drinking from a fire hose, I can certainly attest to that. There's been a lot of new information coming in, meeting a lot of new people though, connecting with a lot of people down here, it's great. I enjoy working for my boss, he's a really cool guy, as well as his other partner, my other boss, Gary, and things are going really well with the job. I'm starting to settle into a routine. I'm getting up and going to these workout classes, so I've got a new cast of characters that I'm going to be welcoming onto the show. Really excited to get them on. They'll be coming up in the next several weeks because I've got many episodes that are ready to drop that are going to be coming out over the next couple weeks, so we've got some content locked and loaded. I'm really excited, and I'm really excited to get into this apartment, man, because I am... I've killed six bugs in this, uh, I'm, I'm just going to call it like it is, it's a shitty motel room. You know, I'm staying in a shitty motel room and I was able to pocket some money and save some money and it's just part of the journey, man. It's just part of that journey that you got to take sometimes and yeah, it's been hard living out of a hotel. Uh, certainly a little bit harder than it was previously when I've done this, but you know what? It's all part of the journey. And When I get episodes like today's episode, it makes it all worth it, to be honest, because today's journey of Jamie Ledden is fire. It is such an awesome story. This is such an awesome episode, and I want to tell you a little bit about Jamie Ledden. Jamie Ledden is a powerhouse, okay? She is a leader, a storyteller, a mom, a wife, a lecturer at Vanderbilt University, and she is the director of The Leiden Group, a Nashville-based boutique leadership consultancy firm that she runs with her husband, Patrick. Now, I first crossed paths with Jamie and Patrick while I was an undergrad at the University of Kentucky, where they co-taught a few business classes there at the time. And we've stayed connected through the years via LinkedIn, and as I followed her work, I couldn't think of a better guest that I wanted to feature on the show. A naturally gifted speaker, Jamie comes on and absolutely crushes this interview. We begin with how growing up in West Virginia shaped her early experiences in life, as well as the gap year that she took and living for a year in Denmark, which is pretty cool, and then quickly transitioning into motherhood and being a full-time mom and business owner. Later, Jamie shares how she strives to bring inclusivity to her classrooms as well as some of her personal beliefs that people should bring their whole selves to work and that everyone is a leader. Two beliefs and notions that I found very refreshing and I really connected with. We touch on storytelling as a skill, thought leadership, building trust through spoken word, organizational culture, women in leadership, building the business with their husband, and finally, Jamie wraps up with her realist talk. This is a very special episode and one that I've thoroughly enjoyed. I'm so glad that we've stayed connected and could link back up for this interview, and I hope, my friends, that you enjoy this half as much as we enjoyed playing it for you because we really had a ball. Now, if you do enjoy this episode, a couple of things before we jump in. One, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. really helps me out. really helps me grow the show. Can't thank everybody that's done that already enough. Thank you, Okay. But to those of you who are listening for the first time, first of all, welcome in. But second of all, please drop that rating and a review. It really helps. It takes two seconds, and it really, really helps me out. And also, if you are brand new to this show, first-time listeners, welcome in. If you enjoy this episode, I think you would also really dig these other episodes. So please go back and listen to some of these other ones because I think you'd really enjoy them. Sarah Cummins on entrepreneurship, voluntary discomfort, and the art of dentistry. Kayla Weber Nord on artistry, Kentucky things, and the creative journey. Brad Steinfeld on mountain climbing, medical sales, and hitchhiking around the world. And finally, Tim O'Neill on building products and processes from scratch, dealing with no, and the nuances of networking. Now, you got to understand, this is like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. It is very difficult for me to single out episodes that I think are better than the others, or are more entertaining than the others. That's not what this is. I just think that these episodes, and the vibe, and the topics that we talk about are very similar. So if you like this one, I guarantee you're gonna like this other one, and you'll probably like all the other episodes that we've done, because honestly, we just put out bangers. That's just what we do week after week, baby. Every single Wednesday. So make sure you're tapped in, make sure you're subscribed, and don't forget to leave that rating and a review. All right, without further ado, Please enjoy this interview with Jamie Ledden. All right, we now welcome Jamie Ledden to the show. Jamie, how you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me today.
1: Thank you so much for your time. This is it's always really cool when I can reconnect with people who have shaped my life for a positive way and you and your husband in the class that you taught at UK really had a profound impact on me just thinking about things as a business person, as an entrepreneur. I love that class so much because I feel like there were so many people in that class that ha- are now doing really cool things and I've had a few of them on the show. So it's cool to tie it back up and bring it full circle to the instructor that shared so much of her wisdom. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you. It's It's such an honor and in- that's why we do it. I mean, this is this is the penultimate. This is why when students have success, and it's amazing to hear you say that. So thank you. I'm humbled, and I'm honored, and it's a good reminder of how privileged I am to be in the classroom. So thank you for that.
1: So these are typically very personal, kind of deep interviews. Okay. So let's okay. start with let's where start. you grew okay, up. Okay, great. Yeah, where'd you grow up? <laughs>
0: Oh, we'll start, you know, you, you think the older you get, the more you think you can get away from your family of origin, right? Good or bad, you're going to mark your own path. I had two parents who I still have. My father still works six days a week, do the math. That's frightening. But hmm. he does. Is he's very driven. And they were what I like to refer to as conservative hippies. And they like to move. And they like to explore, and they ended up ingraining that to me. I always find it's interesting, since we're being personal, sometimes students don't know this, they say, where are you from? Where That typical question. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting story, because I was actually born in California, because my father was a physician at Yosemite National Park.
1: Oh, no way.
0: yeah, right? So interesting. So I say, you know, I was granola before granola was cool in the 60s. So just saying. And OG,
1: then, the original granola.
0: It's true. Who knew, right? You wouldn't have guessed from the image you probably had about me. And that greatly shaped me. And then we moved to what was Panama Canal Zone which is no longer the Panama Canal zone. And then we moved to West Virginia for my father to do an internship there with the coal miners. And then we moved to Illinois. And then, so in total, I have lived in two other countries and 10 states. So, wow. Wow. But Nashville's my favorite. I always say that. Now, for those of you, when you knew me, when I lived in a different state, I would have said that was my favorite. I tend to be a very bloom where you're planted person. And I think I get that from my parents of enjoy the journey and enjoy where you are now. And so 10 states, three countries, including this one. And I'm going to say Nashville's my favorite. But That's home.
1: Wow. How old were you when you moved from Yosemite?
0: I was just a toddler. Okay. Yeah. so
1: wow and so you're moving around a lot Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. it difficult to make friends when you would go to these places or was it difficult to find your groove and new footing
0: i don't you know it's a fair question i never really found it to be a problem and even as an adult when we've moved because patrick who you alluded to earlier my husband of 30 plus years we've moved every couple of years too i just I don't know. It seems normal. Right. But I'd like to stay in Nashville for a while.
1: <laughs> We've been here
0: six years, so I'd like to stay.
1: Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, it's funny because somebody with storytelling abilities and and just that relatability, the ability to connect with others probably wouldn't have that much difficulty making new friends, making new connections. So to hear you say that isn't too surprising.
0: It makes you wonder, though, since we're being personal, right? What comes first? The ability to be comfortable or that you have to be comfortable because you've chosen to uproot again or someone has chosen for you? I don't have the answer for that. And I think we all look at our own story as normal, whatever that means, right? But I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. So it's been a great journey and I'm I'm grateful that my parents put a a bit of an adventurous spirit in me. So it made it good. When you marry Patrick Ledin, you better have an adventurous spirit and be willing to move (laughs) and go and do stuff or you're going to be in big trouble. So,
1: (laughs) The rise of the entrepreneur.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So that's my story.
1: I love that we're kind of jumping right in the deep end here because, yeah, that's like one of the... Key questions that I think I'm curious to know about is just, we have gifts, we have innate abilities, we have strengths, and it's almost like the nature versus nurture thing, right? Right. Were you born with these things or were they developed over time or a mix of both?
0: The older I get, the more I believe it's a mix of both. You've had me before in class, you know, that I believe in, the world wants to point out your flaws and your shortcomings, and we all have them. But the world would be a better place and people as individuals would be happier. they think about what are my gifts and talents? What do I already have? Not that I want to completely ignore and not work on those things I need to work on. But at the same time, I come to the table. I come to the job. I come to this life with gifts and talents and just natural strengths. And my attitude has always been, let's, you know, I didn't come up with this. But, you know, now go with your strengths. And I think that just makes for a better life, a better an employee, a better spouse, uh, just a better citizen if we will focus on what works for us already and then just keep pushing that forward and making that better. Again, not ignoring things that we need to work on, but I feel like culturally we tend to be so out of balance. You know, somebody will say that works for us. They just are, they're not a, a great communicator or a great public speaker And that may be true and in their role, if they need to do that, let's work on that a little. But what are they good at? Are they that person that could lock themselves in a room and spend hours on that detailed work and on those spreadsheets? Well, if that's their gift at work, maybe we should kind of put them in a role where they can nurture and work on that. Again, not completely ignoring the fact that they need to lead their team and communicate with people, but also finding a role for them or finding a role for ourselves where our gifts and talents work and are rewarded and and appreciated.
1: And it's so refreshing to hear that. I'm reminded of a quote from Mad Men where one of the characters said, pick a job and then become the person that does it, right? But right. what we're talking about is so much more yeah. ingrained in yeah. focusing on our gifts and our talents mm-hmm. and then building mm-hmm. those things out from there, which is what I try to do, what, what I right. encourage people to do, because I, right. I just see so many people that go through that mold of, uh-huh. I'm going to go to high school and then go to college. And then it's it's uh-huh. just like their whole life is laid uh-huh. out for them, like this prescribed uh-huh. thing. And they never uh-huh. really truly lean into the right. things that, that God or the universe or whoever you right. want to believe in, like right. bless these people with.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you'd be mad you, men, you know, I'll lacking all moral fiber characters, but interesting (laughs) show, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting concept though, because you could kind of turn it on, you know, how do I make, is this job going to work for me? And that's how I think folks, especially the environment we're in now, if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. But you do see that of, if I had followed in the footsteps of my father per se, I would be in the medical field. Well, Mm -hmm. Kind of i've tried to help my father a couple of times i passed out both times probably not the right field for me (laughs) so now if you'd like somebody to stand up and talk about how to better run an emergency or a medical practice and do the research behind it i'm your person but if you want someone to actually have to get their hands dirty and get in the medical field i would be laying on the floor passed out so i'm not your person and that's exactly what you, i think what you're talking about and so many people believe my mother was a salesperson, so i'll be a salesperson. my mother was a my father was a or my family and this is the path that's laid out for me or the other end we're a family that doesn't go to college therefore i don't go to college well, you have to forge your own path and the path that's going to work for you and again, going back to the same language of what's going to work for the gifts and talents that you already have.
1: Why do you think that people stray away from that?
0: Because I think it's, oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really deep question. But yeah. <laughs> my experience tells me we have in our head that I should. It's expected. Everyone believes I will. I have the pleasure of doing a lot of executive coaching. And it's amazing because if someone's hired an executive coach, they're usually a piece of person of means or they're working for a company that's a person of means that's a company of means. They have finances to to cover the cost. And it's amazing of successful by the world standards people who almost feel like they need permission to make this life transition because they're on the path that someone else has laid out for them. And I find that so sad. Not that you need to blow up every system, I'm not saying that, but at the same time, you do need to follow the path that's going to work for you, not for your brother, not for your cousin, not for your neighbor, not for what's expected from your neighborhood. And I think that's difficult to fight through the noise, I I think, especially today with all the noise and communication that's coming at us to listen to yourself and do research and talk to mentors and communicate with people that you can trust. That's why I think it's so important if you're in college to develop relationships with your classmates, with your professors, where in this world can you go and not see A UK t-shirt and yell, go cats, (laughs) right? I mean, I have done this, I am not joking, in China, yelled, go cats. (laughs) And you get the go cats back. It's like, (laughs) are we everywhere? The answer is yes. (laughs) Right? So you build the network. And communicate with people and talk to people and talk about experiences. And that's one of the, the amazing things about the University of Kentucky being a land grant university that it attracts, it educates everyone from the Commonwealth. So the diversity of thought within that large university is phenomenal.
1: How is it different than other universities that you've worked with or, or taught at?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm at Vanderbilt University now, so still within the ICC. And mm-hmm. it's just a very different experience. Vanderbilt's a small, private university. I guess being true to form, I'm going to say they both have their strengths. Again, the University of Kentucky has a very different calling. It is the land, a land-grant University for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, it just has a totally different mission on how it's going to serve its citizens than Vanderbilt University. They're both right for the audiences that they're serving and, again, feel incredibly privileged to teach at Vanderbilt. How did this happen? So, yeah.
1: I love that your career has continued and that you are happy where you are now. And obviously I'm sad that UK lost uh, such a dynamic duo and such a force that you are, but I'm sure that the people down at Vanderbilt are very lucky and and privileged to have you as a professor. I want to circle back because I'm curious, you said that your dad worked with people who were in the coal mines. Right, correct. So from a young age... We've touched on privilege a couple of times. From mm-hmm. a young age, you were seeing this way of life for these people mm-hmm. there in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. What kind of an impact did that have on you in, in shaping the way that you viewed the world and and people and society?
0: See, that's an interesting question. And Again, the older I get, the more I realize that I tap into all those experiences. So my father was came from an established family. Is that a nice way to put it? And, and that, but my mother, my mother's father who had been a coal miner had passed away after years of a debilitating illness when my mother was only 13. And so I had seen and came from a coal mining family. So I'd always had that influence from my mother that I'm sure that's why my father was interested in making life better for coal miners and black lung and all of that. So I think it's an interesting question, Ben, because I think the older I get, the more I am touched by it. And the more I realized how they, my mom and dad did a good job of making sure that without a doubt, I came from privilege because of their hard work and the generations before them, but to not forget marginalized people. And it's impossible to live in the state of Kentucky without having a heart and a concern for Appalachia and coal mining. Or I should say, it was impossible for me. (laughs) My experience was it was impossible. But I definitely believe that it shaped me. And it's an interesting, I always found it to be an interesting conundrum that UK is so close physically located so close to Appalachia and so many people that the education, the opportunity could be life-changing, and yet it's so far removed. And I know UK is working on that diligently of ensuring that people see that the University of Kentucky is for everyone. Again, that's that land-grant university and why I think that the University of Kentucky is, serves such an important role because we want to focus, you know, cats, we want to focus on men's basketball and mm-hmm. um, we want to focus on, and that's okay, but if we want to focus on the honor college and all that. But but where UK is, many places they're making a difference, but is how are we, I still say we, I hope that's okay. How are yeah. we serving that underserved community that's right in the backyard of the university?
1: It is interesting. And, and it's almost like there's Eastern Kentucky, then there's Lexington, and then Louisville sees itself as something completely different. And yes. it's almost like oh, two yeah. different worlds yeah. between yeah. where I grew up and then- Do we want I to talk
0: f- about that? I lived there for years and I never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I have to tell you, should I admit this? We'll I'm be impersonal, so I shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to because it's kind of funny. So yeah. before we moved to Kentucky- I didn't know what March Madness was. Now, that's to all the listeners right now that you have are going, oh. <laughs> I thought she was smart. I've just blown all of my credibility. But then I really got into it because I was like, March Madness and watching the games. And it's, I think it's impossible to live in Kentucky and not get caught up in college sports and college basketball. There are no pro teams, that's right. part of it. But the religion of the red versus blue, still find it fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit on it because there's no pro sports teams, yeah. people need something to identify with. And so that's right. They put yeah. so much into these teams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was always amazed in the rooms that I could go into if my credibility would go up or down <laughs> when I said I was a professor at UK. It would depend. Was <laughs> this a blue room or a red room? So, uh, yeah, that's
1: okay. All right, so let's circle back to where you went to high school and then when you (laughs) went on to college.
0: (laughs) Well, when I went to high school, all I did was, like, I had a wonderful high school experience, was very active and everything, and all I did was dream about traveling, and this is in the 80s. So I took, in the 80s, a year off, which basically everybody that in, in that time when you were a family, when you were someone that was going to go to college, it was like, What the hell are you doing? You know, now your generation calls it a gap year. Thank you for that. So I refer <laughs> to this as my gap year. I appreciate that. And yeah. I went to Denmark and and lived with a family for a year. And in fact, now that COVID is over-ish wherever we are now. We'll be traveling over, Patrick and I'll be traveling over and our son is actually going with us to stay with the family for, I think, I don't know, we haven't gotten our return tickets yet. I would never return if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for school and work, but so I stayed with them. The hope was they had an only child and they wanted to make some connections and now I, I laugh because I haven't been there since right before Christmas before COVID, but you now I just keep coming back. I said, you just keep feeding me. I went from a 17-year-old kid to much older now with adult kids. And I said, just keep coming around your table and eating your food. So I dreamt of getting out. And then I was in Denmark, not really wanting to come home. I mean, I'm 18 at this point, having the time of my life, right? And my brother, I have one sibling who's six years older than me, registered me. School took care of it. I had intention of going to Northwestern in Illinois. And look, look, just come home, we'll get you registered for school. And my brother had gone to Southern Illinois University. My parents had gone to Southern Illinois University. So they registered me at Southern Illinois University. I ended up finishing, I shouldn't admit this, but I finished a four year degree in three years. I really like school. And that's where I went to undergrad. I met this guy named Patrick Ledin who is in ROTC. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but it's obviously worked out for us two weeks after I graduated from college, we got married and started this adventure. So wow! I know, right? I know. And now <laughs> I just think, Oh, what was I thinking? I remember at our wedding, it's so funny um, now because I remember, you know, when we got engaged and it was like, why are our families nervous? We have college degrees. We we know everything. You know, I'm 21 years old. So, yeah. oh, so naive. Maybe we were just so young and naive. We just didn't know any better. So, but it worked out. Here we are.
1: Here we <laughs> yeah. are all these years later.
0: All these years later. He's still with <laughs> me. Thank goodness. So, but it's been an amazing journey. It's been an amazing journey. So we got married right away and went in the army right away. And uh, there you go.
1: So now, as you're moving around with him, now (laughs) Uh that childhood stuff, here it comes again, manifesting itself in your life.
0: Yeah. And I think it really did help me. I know it helped me. I know it helped me because moving and suddenly I was the, you know, he was an officer. I was the officer's wife. It was a different time because he was in the infantry and there were no women officers at that point in that in his branch. And having had to move and having uh, grown up with my father, who had been, still is, he's still with us, successful, it just didn't bother me to, you know, be in gatherings and social gatherings and things. Because you know, Patrick was, it's kind of interesting now, because a couple of his bosses that I remember being at events with have done quite well. A gentleman by the name of David Petraeus, he's had some ups and downs. And of course, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, was one of Patrick's bosses. Great guy. Hmm. It's well. terribly intimidating, but great guy. And it takes a <laughs> lot to intimidate me. So, because <laughs> he's good for his role he's in now. So.
1: so, when you moved around, how did you balance being an officer's wife versus starting to form your own career? Or did you go straight into motherhood and have kids? Yo, or?
0: Yeah, I did. We were married six months. I don't know how personal you want to be in this story. So we were married for six months and I took Patrick to ranger school. This is actually a funny story or pathetic. I don't know. You can tell me we've been married six months and I took him to ranger school and ranger school is in my opinion, the hardest course that the military seals will argue with me right now, but I'm a ranger wife. So ranger school is harder. A couple (laughs) of ranger trainees had died. Because it's, they're getting you ready. They starve them and it's very difficult. And my brother had been to ranger school and had literally broken his back. So I was very nervous about dropping Patrick off. And of course, it's the army. So it's like four o'clock in the morning. So I drop him off and then I go to the hospital because I've been really sick. I hadn't been feeling well, but I'm getting ready to drop my young husband off at ranger school. When you walk in the hospital and you're 23, They give you, you breathe. you're breathing, they give you a pregnancy test. You know, a doctor comes back in and tells me that I'm pregnant. You know, I'm alone. This is pre cell phones. This is everything. I've just dropped my husband off, and he says, "You're pregnant," and I went, "I'm what? You're pregnant?" And I went, (laughs) "How did that happen?" (laughs) And he goes, "Do we need to have that conversation?" (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I know how. It's so funny because I can just remember like everything. I remember what I had on. I remember the doctor because it was so shocking. I was like. Well, this wasn't part of my plan. So I had to write the letter. to Patrick Duras, Patrick, you know, because it's, you know, it's the 90s. It's 1991, I guess. So, yeah, jumped right in, jumped right into motherhood. I guess the math was we were married about a year and a half when Alex came along. And we kind of grew up together in a way. She's 29. She just turned 29. So it's been an amazing journey. Then we waited five years for the next one was a little more. Planned. So you said you wanted personal. I I don't know if I can talk. That's pretty personal. So hey, this is real talk. This is what we <laughs> yes, do. Right. We love this. Yeah, you asked for it. You get it. So um, yeah, my, my, my daughter's like, what is wrong with her? So um, so it's been it's been a great journey. And then of course when you had us skip fast forward, we had our business, and that was an amazing experience. You know, and it's always. We always share it with students because it makes, you know, one PowerPoint. It looks really good. It's double digit growth every year. You know, no big deal. The first couple of years, Gets a little harder yeah. years, seven and eight, right? I'm not a math yeah. person, but that I even know. And then we spread to three offices. We had three offices across the Southeastern United States. Then 2011, we made Inc. 5000's list of fastest growing privately held businesses And then in 2012, we were acquired by a competitor. And then suddenly everything changed for the better. Life-changing. So that's how we got to University of Kentucky. Derek Lane, who's a professor, a phenomenal professor at the University of Kentucky, was actually the chair for Patrick's dissertation. That's why we came to Kentucky, was for Patrick to get his PhD and ask us what we were doing. We'd been to Denmark to see my family, my adopted family. And he's like, I, I think you guys should come teach. I think we should, come, I think you should come teach. And that started that journey. So thankful wow. to Derek Lane for asking us. So, uh-huh.
1: yeah. Let's, so we'll circle back to what that looked like in the beginning when you yeah. guys were huddled around your whiteboard and and thinking about the business and, and getting that off the ground and just yeah. those early entrepreneur days. But yeah. I want to circle back to when you get the news that you're pregnant, <laughs> what was your plan? Like that became your plan, right? But, that became
0: but, my plan. Suddenly, yeah. And I, you've got to understand that I was the girl who'd never babysat. This was not on, this was not on the list. We thought we might, but It wasn't on the plan. So, but that's how life is, right? You make a plan and then you readjust all the time, which isn't always my, ironically, isn't always my best. I'm not the best at that because I'm the type of person who, if I write it in my agenda, I guess put it in my smartphone now, and it's on my list, then it needs to happen. And then when you're an army wife and then you're pregnant and you're young, your agenda kind of goes out the window. And that was okay. That was really okay. I wouldn't change it. She's a phenomenal adult. And now I look back and go, she came at the exact right time. I kind—I wouldn't want it any other way. And isn't that how life goes? Mm-hmm. My brother, who's a brilliant wise man and has been since we were children, he, he, I, when the news came, you know, still in this pregnancy story, and he said, well, you can't wait till you're ready to have children. Because you're never ready. So yeah. here you go. <laughs> I remember that. That brought me a lot of peace. Because you're right. You see a lot of people that have children in their 40s and they're struggling. So why not? So so off yeah. we went. Off we went. Now, again, kids, those of you that are listening, this is not necessarily the path you want to take of getting married, done, and having a child <laughs> young. So those of you that are listening, so, yeah. But I wouldn't change it. It's sort of like our entrepreneur story. You know, now it's talking about that slide that I put together, a nice little bow on it. Look how beautiful our story was. And it was an amazing story. In between that growth and success, you know, I usually don't share the story, of, but I will with you because it's real talk of having a bleeding ulcer and suffering from migraines and all of that dark side that can come with entrepreneurship. I recommend it to everyone. You know, I always say, if you're going to take my class, I start with my class with saying that you need to know about the person who's leading this class because I'm going to teach from my perspective, right? I work hard to get better, to learn other perspectives. But, you know, Stephen Covey was famous for saying, we think we see the world as it is when in fact we see the world as we are. And I Mm. try to fight that. And I think we need to fight that But guess what? I'm going to see the world from my perspective, which is always, oh, you don't like the culture? Start your own business. Mm -hmm. Well, why couldn't you start your own business? You should start your own business. Yeah, you should do your own thing. You should be your own boss. Because that's how I see the world. So it makes sense. But the struggles that we had... Were real. And I think anyone, anyone too, again, real talk, Ben, anyone that's been married as long as we have that tells you it's all been great. It's been puppy dogs and balloons for 30 plus years. They're lying. <laughs> <laughs> They're lying. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind because there have been, there have been amazing ups, but there have been downs because it's called life. And I'm married to a human and humans are flawed, especially me. I mean, let me be really clear about that. So, yeah. yeah.
1: So I I don't know. I don't know if that's
0: helpful or not helpful, but I think it's, I think students and and people, you know, will look at us and go, wow, you know, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. We've made some really hard choices. I mean, we worked really hard and... We've been very blessed, and we've made the right decision. And and I married well. I did. I married well. It's funny. You've, you've been around to some, but any of those strings finders, enneagram. Don't ask me what mine is. I know you probably will because it's a generational question. I've done the test and I've forgotten. I'm sorry. Myers Briggs, which I'm not a fan of, but still, you name it. Love language. What's your sign? Myers Briggs. No. Oh my sun sign. sign. Astro- Let's see. Hold on. Scorpio, Scorpion, Scorpio, I'm November, Scorpio. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm not very good at this. Does that mean anything? (laughs) I don't know. So I don't know either. uh, And he is not that either because he's born under another sign too. So, but we don't have any that match. We never match. Doesn't matter what the test is. We don't match. And I think that's been our, one of our greatest strengths. Again, for those of you that are in partnerships with people that are the exact same, it's working for you. Awesome. But I do think that's one of the reasons why it works with us, because we see everything from a completely different perspective. I'm kind of a textbook extrovert. He's an introvert. When I'm exhausted, if I'm exhausted, I'd be like, Ben, can we talk? Because I I need some energy. Can you kind of help amp me up? Whereas Mm -hmm. introverts, as I've learned, they want to go do this thing of go be by themselves and revive on their own okay i don't understand it but i'm trying to i'm trying that's one of the things i've been really working on in the classroom the last couple of years is trying to be much i always say i want an inclusive classroom what does that mean i think in our day and age it needs to be we need to be mindful of, of the different types of personalities it's introvert and extrovert and especially neurodiversity that's that's kind of my biggest thing now we have so many students and so many people that are on this spectrum, identified or not identified. And what are we doing as the leaders and teachers to be inclusive of neurodiversity in our environments? Well, I just went off on, yeah, on a t- tangent. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's great. But no, to never apologize. That's okay. that's why we book for so long on this show is so we can go
1: so deep. Okay, good. good. There you go. So, yeah. You touched on neurodiversity. I'm bipolar too, somewhere on the spectrum, struggling with BPD issues. And so it is very interesting to think about how as an instructor and just as a leader, I mean, you know, not even just as an instructor, but just as a leader, how do you bring these people together? Right in pursuit of a common goal or right. an objective. And I think right. what I wanted to ask you was how do you, you can answer this from the perspective of you and your husband or just okay. from your experiences as a, a leader and an instructor, but how do you compromise when you have this multitude of ideas and maybe strong personalities? Okay. How do you find that balance?
0: It's difficult. And I think it's one of the things that I'm working on every day of how do we I try to create, Compromise, I feel like somebody's losing. And many times if we compromise, it's going to be our introvert, it's going to be our folks that are on the spectrum. They're going to lose, so to speak, if we compromise. I'm working hard you know, with clients, you know, either hat we're talking about with client site on a client site, working with clients and working with students to create a collaborative environment. So I think as leaders, especially today, we need to be thinking about what type of environment am I creating as a leader that ensures that person that's on the spectrum or whatever where you know whatever label you want or whatever they are, that person feels included and belong and brings their best if I've hired someone or the Vanderbilt University's hired someone, you know, admitted a student, it's my job as the professor. It's my job as that consultant wherever I am to ensure that person is included and they're contributing. We didn't hire them. We didn't invite them into the classroom for them not to bring their whole self and for them not to feel included because it is, and the, the, I was just so ignorant quite frankly for lack of a better word to this just a few years ago we have a center for autism here at Vanderbilt that's been um quite helpful to me working on being inclusive in my classroom of neurodiversity because there are just certain things that as instructors they're just the opposite of of making it an inclusive environment and again we teach from our own we lead we teach we lead our lives from our own perspective and i'm leading i'm speaking i'm teaching from the perspective of my life which is an extroverted extrovert mm. and i need to be mindful of that because it, I, with with my intention hopefully is always good But even the best intentions, if you don't set up your environment to be inclusive of those with neurodiversity, you're doing the opposite. They're going to shut down and not give their best ideas. Well, if I hire someone with neurodiversity, I hired them because of the strengths we thought they would bring to the team. So it's very important, I believe, as leaders that we continuously improve and make those environments more inclusive. And I think that's such a popular word right now as it should be. But I, I believe that with the, those that are, that have neurodiversity, and again, this is just a passion of mine right now. So we're going to talk about it, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. What am I doing to create an environment that's inclusive? And I, you know, I'm getting better. I've got a long way to go, but you know, I'm to the point now where maybe I don't do it as much, or if I say something that I'll go, I'm sorry, let me rewind and try that again and say that a little more inclusivity. I may have already shut down the person, but I'm trying to get better every day and create that environment. What, you know, what is it in the classroom? You know, thinking or in meetings, you know, in, in the classroom, not everybody can participate the same way in work not everybody can participate right not everybody can give their ideas the same way as a leader are you setting up avenues to ensure that everyone's voice is heard and that's not oh you know, jamie ledden you know blah, blah blah you know you're this or that you're just trying to say no i'm, I'm trying to say hey you hired this person because you thought they would make your team better. Maybe they just make you more money. Let's talk like a business person, right? They would hit your bottom mm-hmm. line. You hired them for a reason. And if you aren't inclusive, they're not going to bring their whole self and you're not going to get everything out of them that you're paying them for. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, first of all, we definitely applaud the mindfulness and the thoughtfulness. So I think as the last two years have unfolded, whether it's neurodiversity or race or right right now the newest topic is abortion and if men should be legislating women's bodies and just there's things that we are bringing to the forefront of the societal dialogue that Mm -hmm. have previously been shunned and I'm here for it so I definitely applaud the mindfulness and, and the thoughtfulness and appreciate that I also want to circle back to what you said about bringing your whole self to work. This is a true story, okay? I recently just landed a job and shared with you that I'm moving to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And that came about because of a connection that I made that was not like me applying to any jobs. Before that, 30 different positions that I was qualified for whenever I would fill out the application... I would check the box that says, do you have a disability? Because it lists bipolar and other mental Mm -hmm. issues as Mm -hmm. a disability. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I thought, my thought process is, I would so much rather my employer know, and so I can speak to this. Mm -hmm. I can Mm -hmm. let them know, yeah, my mood Mm -hmm. might go up and down, but the Mm -hmm. work will be consistent. And Mm -hmm. I'm that this doesn't define me even though it's Uh a box on your application Uh not a single one of those 30 jobs got back to me to say we want to schedule an interview the only ones I heard from were no's I got like 11 no's and the rest just ghosted and I don't know if that's because they're scared or if they've hit their quota for people uh-huh. that check that box, right? Uh-huh. Which which uh-huh. could be a thing. So uh-huh. it, it was very eye-opening. But, you know, and I get earlier you, you mentioned just that noise of people applying, you know, conventional wisdom or baby boomer mentality of the workforce to millennial or Gen Z. Uh-huh. And I would... You know, have people tell me you probably shouldn't share that, but it's like, well, why? I don't want to feel like I have to hide it either. Right,
0: right. Yeah. So it's, that's, it's tough. Been, I think that's interesting because if you had talked to me 10 years ago, which I guess you did probably, but 20 huh. years ago, <laughs> I would have said, don't share. And I'm a Gen Xer right in the middle of Gen X, but now I say, share, bring your, you heard me say it, you bring your whole self. You're bringing mm-hmm. your whole self to work. Who you are is coming to work. They are hiring the whole self. It's interesting times though. I had in my class last week, I had the author, Liz Wiseman. I don't know if you've read the book, Multipliers. It's a New York Times bestselling book. She just wrote a book, a bestseller called Impact Players. Profound speaker, does a lot of research and leadership. Wow. And she shared with my class something that I want to share with you that I think is very interesting that we are leading in the dark right now as leaders. And we are because we we have people in top leadership that were told when they came to work. Do not ask about home life. Do not ask. How are you? Don't ask it. Now, you started your career like that where we were told we don't ask people bring them to work, they go home. Okay, That's the mindset they entered the workforce with now and especially Gen Z, and I love Gen Z, saying they didn't ask about how I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not staying here. Now, wait a second. You've got a leader in upper management who entered their career and she was told or he was told or they were told, do not ask. And now that leader is saying so I'm supposed to ask now, what can I ask? I mean, these are difficult times for yeah. leaders. And to know, as you you know, we have multiple generations and it's, you know, we, can, we can go by some generations. And I'm, I mean, I just did that, I stereotyped, but it is difficult. But I can tell you that there are leaders that entered their career and said, do not ask. And now we say, you must ask, you must ask. And how do I ask? And this is a difficult situation for men, especially if we want to talk about genders of a man. So do I ask my pregnant employee how they are feeling? Is that appropriate? Because I was told to never ask things like that, to not acknowledge it. And now I'm told I need to, but what's appropriate and what's not aggressive. And I think Liz is, I mean, I have hope, of course, But I do think we as leaders and future leaders want to be mindful of the fact that, yeah, it is a little leading in the dark. We're kind of feeling this out and we need to be building organizational cultures that that support who we are as an organization, what kind of organization we have. And it's going to vary so much from organization to organization. And I always say not right or wrong, just different. So you need to find the organization that's going to work for you or build your own either way. But I think, so kind of back to the checking of the block. So I would have said years ago, I would have said probably shouldn't share. But now I have an opposite mindset because my feeling is, and I tell students this all the time, if they don't like you because of X, you fill it in, right? Everybody's thinking of their own whatever that is. You know, it's easy with like, we're so binary po- politically right now. So that's an easy one. You know, yeah. I worked I work for X. Should I put it on my resume? Do you believe in that person? Do you believe in the stance that they take? Yeah, put it on there. Left or right, could it knock you out of jobs? 100%, yeah, it will. But you're bringing your whole person to work and if this issue, this topic, this, again, fill it in, Right, talking about you, about checking the box. You can check the block or not check the block, your choice. You're still bringing your whole person to work. So the block is checked to me. I'm like, check the block, put it on your resume, bring it all because they're going to find out anyway. And you're going to show that let's start right from day one. This is who I am. Doesn't mean you're not going to grow and change goodness. I'm just telling you, I changed a big philosophy from a decade or two ago. So you're going to change. And you should change, but I don't want you to hide something at work. And that doesn't mean you need to tell everybody all your stuff. I'm still a Gen Xer, okay? There are some things that should be private, in my opinion, Again, that's my opinion. But I want you to bring your whole self to work. I want you to be satisfied and not really happy. That's kind of a fleeting word, but have some joy. You give more time to work than you do to home. So right. work should be satisfying.
1: Yeah, feeling accepted is is so important. I'm somebody oh I would yeah. I would personally rather know. And if the company is going to discount somebody based on whatever box you check, mm-hmm. I'd rather not know because it's I, I think it would be worse and a waste of time and resources to get trained, mm-hmm. get comfortable in the role, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to feel like you are living with something that you're not being forthcoming or just to hear those attitudes around the office. And you feel like you
0: can't comment because, Oh, because of my religion or my political belief or my fill in the blank. And it could go, we could go on and on. And to me, and we don't need to bring all those things into work, but you do bring your whole person. You do bring your whole person. And that's where work has changed so much. You know, we used to just, you worked on a, a line and, you know, we bought, you know, your hands and your back. You know, you've heard these things before you, but you didn't buy your heart. And if somebody works with me, I don't need to own them or have their heart, but I also want them to bring as much of their authentic self to work and to the classroom. And that kind of circles back around. So what are we as leaders doing to create and foster environments that work? And again, still at the end of the day, you've got to get work done, but you do want to, if you've taken the time to hire someone, the folks that have hired you in Atlanta, they've taken the time to hire you and train you. That's extremely expensive and time consuming. Mm-hmm. They want you to bring your whole self to work because you'll do more for them and make them more money. Let's, I'm still a business right. professor, so let's go back to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and just that feeling of, okay, they see me and yet sure. they still want me to stay. Right. That feeling of empowerment, you can't put a price on it. No, No, you can't.
0: And the thing of it is everybody has something. Everybody has something. And the the older I get, the more I just know that. We always want to look at, I I don't need to name names, whoever you're thinking of. Oh, they've got it figured out. They've got it easy. And maybe, and especially compared to others, but at the same time, everybody has their stuff. Everybody has their stuff, something they're dealing with, something that didn't go right, something that they struggle with, imposter syndrome. You know, maybe they, oh, yeah, I'm here, but I don't feel like I deserve to be here. And that's so debilitating to leaders. And it's so common, this imposter syndrome of I don't deserve to be here, when they absolutely deserve to be there, but they don't believe it. And if they don't believe it, others around them start to not believe it, too. Yeah. So.
1: It's such an important part of the discussion because as I've had entrepreneurs on the show and especially solopreneurs, there are so many of them that deal with that imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. when you're starting a business and you're thinking about what am I going to charge for my services or my product, people will undercut themselves (laughs) and price themselves so low because- so much of self-worth in your personal identity can be wrapped up and conflated with your business identity. And then all of those flaws that we're talking about, then they, whether you think that they're visible or not, usually they come through and you can see them in your business as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think it's just so important as individuals and as leaders that we're creating that culture. We create the culture you uh, now I can't, I don't change Vanderbilt University, obviously, but I do create the kind of culture that I want in my classroom. That's the only thing I can, that's the only thing I control is my classroom. And uh, I, I think it's important for us to think that sometimes people think, especially in the world today, we look to DC, we look to Ukraine and we look, right. I could just go on and on. I can't control that. I can't change that, but I can make life hopefully a little bit better for my family and for those that work with me and for my students and just in my world. I can't control everything, but I can control a few things that are right next to me into my circle of influence.
1: There's so many things that we're touching on that I just, I I, I just, I'm really connecting with this because that's the exact approach that I've taken or tried to take is, especially being in Louisville and driving for Uber and meeting people and just meeting people where they're at and <laughs> talking to people and providing that space as goofy as that sounds. I, I felt like I was doing a really important thing because it was 2020 and it was 2021 and Bye. we're dealing Bye. with Brianna Taylor we're, we're dealing <laughs> with COVID. We're dealing <laughs> with a lot <laughs> of main issues and just, <laughs> just tr- I, I think the approach that I took is and and I think that it gets lost on so many leaders and it's such a travesty to me that it does because people think of leadership and people think that you need to be a fortune 500 ceo or you need to look a certain way or wear your hair a certain way Mm -hmm. and really there's so much power that everyday people can take in their own community by just showing and shepherding people of this is the way that i believe in living and so this is what i'm going to show and demonstrate for you all as well and i think that people shy away from leadership like that. They're just citizen leadership because they think that they don't fit the mold. And that to me is such a waste of gifts because anybody can step up and lead. Oh
0: yeah. And we believe lead group with Patrick and I, we believe that everyone's a leader and that's bold language. I get that, but I think it's in line with what you're saying. Everyone is a leader. You're leading yourself. You made choices to arrange this call with me. You made choices to be here. I made choices. You We're leading ourselves. And if we weren't leading a team, you everybody is leading themselves. And I think when we start to have that mindset, we find it very powerful. When teams, you know, in individuals, these solopreneurs or people that are, you know, feel like they're in a dead-end job or whatever, it's like you're leading yourself. You may not be able to change everything within the structure of your organization, but what can you change? You can work on yourself. You can work on your team and then maybe your department and start to see real change. But it starts with you because you are a leader. And we believe that. And I believe that leadership comes from all different kinds of people. Who can you learn leadership from? Who can't you learn leadership from? If you are an observer of human nature and you watch people, I think that's an important thing. I mean, you're exactly right. To look a certain way, to work for a certain company, yes, those are leaders, but leaders are all around us and making a real difference in the world. And isn't that what we hope is when we leave this earth that the earth was better because we were here. That's what I yeah. hope.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I want to plug a book. There is uh, the very first book that ever got me started on thinking about entrepreneurship and you just touched on it is called The Startup of You. It's by Reed Hoffman, oh, creator yeah. of LinkedIn. <laughs> And that was the first time that I started to think of myself as more than just a, a person, but just in, and what I mean by that is you can be your own business. Changing yourself mm-hmm. is a lot of work, but if mm-hmm. you, like you said, if you start there, that influence that you can wield amongst other people can really make a positive impact.
0: Absolutely. 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 Reid Hoffman with Netflix, his one of his right hand people was a, a woman by the name of Patty McCord. She is, well, she's a consultant. She's known for a book she wrote called Power, and uh, known actually probably more for, a, as she would say, an ugly PowerPoint deck. And it was that it went viral at Netflix about HR. She was their HR lead. Patty McCord has spoken in my classes at Vanderbilt, and uh, just a powerful, influential leader, and they were at Netflix just doing things strange, which seem normal, thankfully, now. As if you need time off, take time off. You're an adult. She believes, and we should believe, that fully functioning adults are who walk in the door. We need to treat people like fully functioning adults, and yet we don't. And I find that so fascinating with my consulting and coaching practice of, well, you hired these people. So (laughs) why don't you let them lead, you know, lead them, lead them. Don't micromanage, but lead them. You hired them to work. You hired them. You saw something and let them go, let them work, let this culture thrive. And so many times, As humans, we don't do that. We want to clamp down and control and you'll wear yourself out doing that. There's only so many hours in the day. You got to let people, you got to let people go. You got to let them lead. You hired them. Now, if you mishired someone, you know, I always believe you need to be very slow to hire. And I mean, I did wasn't the first to say this, but it is true. Very slow to hire. It's a huge impact on the organization, that person coming in. They will change the culture, if nothing else. Even if it's a large company, they're going to change the culture of their team. So they're going to change the culture. So you need to be very slow to hire and, unfortunately, very quick to fire, which is the most difficult thing you do as a leader, in my opinion. It's firing people. It's horrible.
1: How important of a skill do you think that storytelling is and... How important is that for public speakers or leaders or even Mm -hmm. just people who maybe identify with more of a follower, but just Mm -hmm. how important do you think that storytelling is as a skill?
0: I think it's incredibly important. I'll do a plug for a book. Last year, my husband wrote a book called The Five-Week Leadership Challenge. And this goes, if you're appreciating my philosophy, thankfully, I said we have nothing in common, but our leadership philosophy is in tune with each other. And the book is actually 35 days, 35 actionable steps. It's about helping you become the leader you were meant to be. And it's all about what's your story. The book goes through stories, Patrick's leadership stories, good, bad, (laughs) where he's made mistakes, somewhere he's observed other people. And we were very pleased that it made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list last year because that resonates with folks. We're looking for actionable steps. We're looking for ways to lead ourselves and how do we get better? So the storytelling, it's all stories because we learn through stories. Yeah. We've always learned through stories. We used to learn around the fires, right? You know, when yeah. we came out of the cave, we, we talked around the fire and now we have starting to, again, it's either Zoom or in a conference room around a projector, right? Or a smartphone, right? We all, we have conversations with each other and the storytelling, you'll remember the stories from this podcast. People may only remember the story, my pregnancy story. I hope they get some kind of lesson from that. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but we remember stories and telling stories, And that's how I think we need to be thinking about that as leaders of what's our story and what's our story that we want to share with others. And I think that's an important gift that I can give to the generations that are following me. Again, we look like and I very much love him. He will listen to this. So let's not leave a doubt that I very Mm -hmm. much love Patrick Ludden. But we've had our ups and downs. And I think it's important as part of our story for people to hear that. And that entrepreneurship is hard. It's hard. And yes, we've had wonderful financial success by the world's standards. And I'm very proud of that. But I also alluded to earlier about having a bleeding ulcer because we'd had wonderful financial success. <laughs> you know, they kind of went <laughs> hand in hand. So I think it's important for me to share those stories with people, to share the stories of... And the battle scars and where we've been and, and where we hope to go. We hope with the book and with our teaching and our consulting practice and our online courses to, you know, I can only make so much impact in the room and Vanderbilt has really small classes. So that's good, but it can only impact so many people. So we hope to impact more and more globally with what we think is a good philosophy of leadership that everyone is a leader. And everyone has a story to tell. You have to just decide what's your story. What's your leadership story? And how are you going to lead? And how are you going to lead yourself? And how are you going to lead others?
1: I took a look at, I did one of the leadership quizzes that was off of your website. And it was asking about what my leadership style was. (laughs) And I think that I would probably most, most easily identify with idealist, high energy achiever who believes in potential and, and positive mm-hmm. potential of everybody around them and learning and growth are the key traits. But I also, there's shades of diplomatic as well as steward. And it was really cool. So good. Thanks how, I found it helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, one of the other things that I've seen more and more, and I'm sure you could. Probably speak to this is we're seeing a lot of companies invest a lot in thought leadership Mm -hmm. so can you tell me about your experience with thought leadership I mean this is thought leadership is Mm -hmm. it not
0: yeah no I mean that's a lot of people when they hire me you know Jamie Ludden is a thought leader which is kind of scary but I always think of Patrick but it's so much when I first started working HR and the soft skills I really don't like that term but We all know what that means, but the soft skills are what's hard. I teach a class called women in leadership and the foundational, is we talk about trust and some people want to roll their eyes. Some people may be, maybe not in your audience, but some people might be rolling trust. Really? Can we talk about business and leadership? Please trust.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. I'll show up boss and I'll sabotage you every chance I get, or I'll quietly, or I'll do nothing, right? I don't trust you. And we all know that. If you trust someone, everything moves quicker. It's just, speed goes up, cost goes down. And we know that. We all can think of that friend or that colleague that I can look at, and you can look at, and you just kind of give the, hey, you know that, yep, got you, right. Wait, what? No words were really exchanged right there, right? But you know, you know, we're wrapping up our semester. I've got a TA that I've worked with for two years. I could literally look to the back of the room, Aiden. Hey, can you? Yep, yep, got you, got you, professor. Okay, thanks. And I know sometimes the students go, "What? What?" They didn't say anything to each other. Yeah, we did. We got it because I trust him because I've worked with him for so long, and my trust is so high that I communicated with him and we've got it and it works because I know he'll take care of it. That kind of non-sentence sentence -sentence we just communication we had that I don't need to go back and say, Oh, by the way, dearest Aiden, did you take care of X, Y, Z love professor Ledin? I wouldn't write love of course, but I don't need to write that to him because I know it'll just happen. You know, same with Patrick, same with Kevin things, same with people that we lurk with, same with certain clients. Just that trust is so high that things move very quickly. So, all of that to say, when I first started working, how you know HR was kind of well discounted. I thought it was really important. We had a guest speaker in a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about and telling our students that you need to be closest as you work up. You know, because he was a former CEO, your closest person to you, not your finance. Mm-mm. not your strategy, right? That's would be at the top of most people's list. Mm-hmm. Should be your people, talent, HR, whatever you call it. Whatever you call that person. Because without your talent and your talent staying and your talent here we go again, bringing your whole person, bringing all their strengths to your organization, you're not getting everything out of them. Yeah, does that feel good? Of course that feels good. Does that feel right? And the right thing to do, yes. And it also makes you more money. Good. I gotta kind of mm. remind people I'm a business <laughs> professor. So yeah, there but you it go. does. If I bring my whole person to work and I'm really all in and I'm trusting you, so that HR person, those human capital issues, those soft skill issues, they are critical and we're demanding it with now. We we as a society are demanding it more. And it's so funny to me because people are like, oh, Gen Z or the millennials. They want to be appreciated at work. They want to be valued for who they are. They want to be recognized. Yeah, well into my 50s. Can I raise my hand for those things too? Yeah, yeah. I, I like that too. And I'm nowhere near a millennial. And I would say the same is true for the generations ahead of me. As human beings, we like that we want to have a trustworthy, we want to have an environment and it's still work. Okay, let's bring it back. It's still work. And we still have to get work done. And we have to take care of things. But uh, to me, trust is foundational for leadership. And tying it back to your question, I'll bring this home for you storytelling and telling your story and feeling comfortable.
1: Boom. You pretty much just answered my next question, which was going okay. to be how do you build trust through the spoken word and yeah. if storytelling is uh, your answer then we'll just keep it moving.
0: We'll just keep it moving. I think and I think that people want to get to know each other. Again, to keep talking about these guest speakers I've had, but they're just we're into the semester so it's on my mind, but people want to know, you know, brands like to talk about the lifestyle brand and this not and they don't want to just know where your jacket was made, but who made it? And what charities do you care about? And and we want to see more about the creative process. And it's just so much more that we can give our consumers and we can give our employees and our, our end user or whatever environment you're in. It's just a very different world. And again, I think it goes back to what Liz Wiseman said. We're a little bit leading in the dark. We're trying to figure this out as we come out of COVID because we're not going back to how things were and we have not settled down because those are, there are those leaders who are saying you will be coming back to the office 100%. And then there are those who are announcing we're not, we're closing the office down. And it what's right. People ask me before you do, it's going to depend on the culture and there are trade-offs you know, a lot of the growth and the relationship and the team building happens around the old proverbial water cooler. And that's very difficult to do if everyone's working from home. So how do you find a balance? How do you get that? How are you going to get that for your organization? How are you going to make sure sh- ensure that your team is a team? Yeah. So many people like to talk about team and leading with teams and our team, this and that. And I find so many times in my practice side that they're not a team. <laughs> they're a bunch of individuals that call themselves a team. They're not a team. No way. Huh. And why would they be? They're all rewarded individually. As bosses, we set this up. As leaders, we set this up. So I get to look like a genius because I'll say, well, you realize that all of your compensation is done to reward the individual So they're acting like individuals, not a team. If you want them to act like a team, you need to build that into the organization. Oh, (laughs) I'm a genius. <laughs> but it's hard to see as leaders sometimes what the systems that we've set up. You know, these systems are critical. What is organizational culture? What the majority of the people do the majority of the time. Yeah, you, know, you can put put whatever you want on your website or in the laminated card that's in everybody's drawer or the posters that are on the wall. That's fantastic. And you may be aspiring to that, but I want to know what are the values, the systems and the norms of the organization. You know, what, are the, what are the majority of the people doing the majority of the time? That's your organizational culture, not mm-hmm. what you have written somewhere.
1: Wow, that one's a really great way to put it. <laughs> I, what do, what are people doing, what are the what, majority, majority of, people, of the people doing the majority, doing the majority of, the of,
0: the of the time? That's your organizational wow. culture. But think about that, right? Is it a productive culture? Is it a deceptive culture, right? Enron is always, you know, the poster child for poor ethics and what went wrong. Their systems were literally set up to reward what I would call, and I think the majority of people would call bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Their systems were set up to reward it. What are the majority of people doing the majority of the time? And now they are the case study and they were on the path to that for years. Makes for great study, but it's like, okay, they're the obvious one. What are we doing? What are we doing in our small organizations and our large organizations? You know, what are, what are the majority of people doing the majority of the time? What values and systems and norms is a system set up? Going back to my example earlier, is a system set up only to reward individuals Well, then everybody's going to act like an individual is the system set up to reward people to act and play and work and produce like a team. Then they're going to act like a team, but how is the system set up? You're getting the results that you put into place. You'll work with leaders. I'll work with leaders and they won't like something. People procrastinate or they're late or they fudge this or they do that. And it's nine times out of 10, I can look at the leader and go, did you know you postponed this meeting three times? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Wonder who's setting the example.
1: Have you seen the miniseries on Showtime called Super Pumped about Uber?
0: I have not. No, I don't watch much television.
1: It's really good. And I feel like they're one of the newer age. Everybody, there's a great... Documentary on Enron called "The Smartest Guys in the Room" too, but Enron is like going to be in the textbooks right now. I think Uber is is another great example of what you're touching on and just the behavior that was rewarded mm-hmm. at the company. Yeah. Why Travis Kalanick was booted, mm-hmm. and it it's a six or seven part series about mm. about the culture, and I would highly recommend it okay, to anybody great. listening. Thank yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah. so I. <laughs> I feel bad that it's taken me this long to get to this part of the interview when this probably should have been at the beginning, but let's bring this back to the business that you've built with your husband because I, I just think I'm going to speak and then I'm just going to lay out because I just think it's so cool what you guys do. I'm so curious as to know what you think the keys to relationships are and just like building this thing with your husband and your partner and like uh-huh. I, I just think it's so cool what you guys have built together. And I want to spend some time talking about how that came together and at what point you guys were thinking about launching this entrepreneur's journey of your consulting business. Because I have written down here as well. That you sold your first business, a multi million dollar management consulting firm that you started in mm-hmm. 2001 that boasted mm-hmm. annual double digit growth for 10 plus years, which you mm-hmm. mentioned at the top as well. So, mm-hmm. just a credit to the people that you guys are. And I'm so lucky to have learned from you guys. So, take that yeah. wherever you want to go yeah. and just dive in.
0: The first journey into entrepreneurship, successful entrepreneurship together, was a great journey. And it, like I said earlier, it makes for a great PowerPoint slide. Um, But it's all the kind of white space in between that is where the learning really happened. And we're very proud of that. We hired a great team of people. That's what made us so good is we hired good people. I always say, I don't need another Jamie. I have Jamie, right? I don't need another Patrick. I have Patrick. So who do we need to hire? You know, who is it that's going to be? complimentary, bring different strengths, going back to that language in our team. So with this time, when we set out with leaden Group, leaden Group is all the things that we wanted the first time to be. We had a five-year non-compete after being acquired, and we were both teaching at Vanderbilt and doing a lot of contract work for other people. We felt like it was time to hang our shingle out again. And we, we've set this up the way we want to set it up. So I'll tell you, what, I think this is an interesting story. When the business got to be relatively successful, years seven and eight, years seven or eight or so, we hired an outside firm to help us look at us. Like, okay, we're growing, things are going well. What are we doing well? What could we be doing better? So I went to investigate and talk to our clients.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well... <laughs> interestingly came back to us and said what they really liked about us was that we were us, is that we were mom and pop. Now, what's interesting about that then is that we had worked very hard to not be mom and pop. We were charging BCG prices and we didn't want to be seen as mom and pop, right? That wasn't our strength. We were better than that. We were a high powered consulting firm. If we worked together ever, we would say, whoever grabbed the last name first owned it. And then I guess I was just like Cher or Madonna, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I was just Jamie, or he was just Patrick. Like, I mean, some people knew, but some people didn't know. We didn't work on clients together. We were very siloed because we wanted to keep things separate. Well, those Mm -hmm. that had been around our clients that we opened up to this consulting firm to look at us, they really knew who we were. They knew what we were. They knew the whole story and what they liked about us was that we were us. I mean, let's be frank, they owned us. Right? They knew that they talked, they that the work for them didn't stop, right? That we talked about them around the dinner table, that they were continue we were continuously focused on them and they liked that we were together and we were that was thing. And once we embraced that, the business really grew. And just like yeah, I'm Jamie and that's my husband. We had the same last name, not by coincidence or whatever. It was fascinating. It was such a, it makes for such a good lesson to students, right? Of mm. be, you know, be true to who you are because we weren't true to who we are. And it's funny that it was what our clients really liked. So fast forward, we've hung out, you know, we're lead in group and we don't try to hide it. And it's interesting because people find it interesting, kind of intriguing, kind of, you know, odd at this point that we work together and we lead together and earn and practice together. And so we've done things a lot different. A lot of the philosophy that I've shared with you about bring your whole self, be true, all of that philosophy, I'm proud to say we're actually doing that this time and we didn't the first time. But it's been a great journey. We have a pretty extensive network, thankfully, from all the years of working and been able to travel and work not as much during COVID, of course, but we have an online course and the online course and the best-selling book, but especially the online course and short courses and assessments and a lot of free stuff on our website really fits with our philosophy. Everyone's a leader. Everyone is a leader and giving tools and tips and concrete hopefully materials to folks who are trying to lead and make a difference and make this world a better place that's really our purpose is you know life is seasonal and this season of life that we're in how how do we help global leaders everywhere our backyard of nashville to iceland and to singapore How do we help leaders find their purpose and be be better leaders? Leadership is tough. Everybody likes to talk about leadership and entrepreneurship because it's sexy and it's interesting, but it's hard. It's difficult. We still have to make payroll. Even if somebody doesn't pay their invoices, we still have to pay payroll.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That's. Not the sexy fun part of it. <laughs> that's yeah. the hard part. So,
1: that's the bleeding ulcer.
0: That's the bleeding ulcer part. Exactly. <laughs> no, it actually it is. So it's been exciting with this, with Lead Group, and we're so blessed that the book hit the Wall Street Journal, we've gotten list and best selling list, and we've gotten so much traction from that. But the publisher, when Patrick went with him to, to Harper Collins with this book, I believe they bought it because. It has some legs to it. It's got some time to it. Uh, We're all looking for actionable steps to get better. We all want to get better and we want to lead better and we want to figure out how. And the school of hard knocks just isn't cutting it. What are we going to do to actually help people? And it's such a, and we feel it's just a calling to help leaders and for leaders to get better. So if folks want to go to our website, they can see all kinds of stuff about us. And what we have out there, we have a lot of free tools again, because it's with our purpose of helping leaders get better. And would I, do you need to go back to school? Do you need to take a two day course with us? Do you need to do all these things that take time. Sure. That'd be great. I'm a college professor, so I'm going to tout the importance (laughs) of higher education, but Mm. sometimes you only have 15 minutes, right? You may have your day job. And then you're doing DoorDash and you're picking up a couple of Uber rides. I mean, you got to get your kids to soccer practice or you you know, might be sandwiched in between. You've got to help your mother with her cancer treatment. I mean, who knows? Life is very yeah. difficult. And again, we're leading in the dark, to quote Liz Wiseman. And I, that sounds, it sounds a little ominous to me when she said it. But at the same time, there are tailwinds. There are always headwinds but I feel some really strong tailwinds right now as we come through COVID because things are not going to be the same. So my attitude is, okay, leaders, what are we going to do to be better? A lot of things have been broken open and we can't ignore them. Hmm. But we shouldn't have been ignoring them anyway. So let's talk about it and let's have people bring their whole self and, and, and be the leaders. I want people to be the leaders they were meant to be and they'll make you more money anyway I always want to kind of bring it back down so to that boom yeah
1: so I I think it speaks to just I I love hearing that because I think it speaks to everything that we've been talking about like it, it it all ties in you know, you guys owning the fact that you are together, that you are a married couple. And I love that the message from the business taking off again, you know, you guys building another successful business is the fact that you did lean into that because that is what makes you unique and that right. you share that story with people right. and that that builds that trust. And in turn, it creates. A really successful business. So, congratulations Thanks. on the success of your businesses. Congratulations Thanks. on the New York Times bestseller book. Amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm pretty proud of him. Honestly, pretty proud of him. So, and uh, you know, we you want to you want to pick up the book if you are an aspiring leader, if you're a leader that's looking to advance your career. We have found there's a Harvard study that there's a 12 year gap. The the study confirmed it, but we knew it. There's a 12-year gap when people come into leadership before they actually get any kind of leadership training. So you may get your first leadership job at 28, 29, but before anybody invests any money in you, you'll be about 40. To me, that's unacceptable because especially in the times we're in now, people need help we call people leaders at work and in organizations but we don't give them any tools and this is so common in like technical fields you were the best engineer you were the best software programmer so now you're the leader of the engineers what's changed my title hopefully a little bit more pay but we've given you we in the organizations tend to not give any tools, any guidance on how to be a leader. And we just see that's a that's an unacceptable gap of 12 years. And we want to try to shrink that gap. That's our purpose. That's our calling is to help people close that gap. Okay. You've got the job. Great. You're going to Atlanta to start this job. You need to pick this book up. You've got 10 to 15 minutes a day, actionable steps be a better leader by tomorrow what are you going to apply and what i like about the five-week leadership challenge is that it's all about actionable steps and it's all about you becoming a better leader they're Patrick's stories and we both agree that storytelling is a powerful way to teach they're Patrick's stories but it's not about patrick it's about ben it's about emily it's about whomever is listening It's about Rashid. What is his story? As he reads Patrick's story, then he needs to write his story. And what's his leadership story? Because we all have one. And that story, I don't want the story to be written for people. I want people to be writing their story because the world will write your story for you. But that's not how we want to live. Let's write our own stories.
1: I love it. All right. Last two questions. (laughs) One, do it. When I buy the book, will you guys, if I send it to you, will you sign it and then mail it back to me?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, we okay. absolutely can do it. You actually, I think you can go on leadengroup.com if they want to order books, and I'll make sure Patrick signs it for them. So, cool. yeah, so good. Amazing. And there's University of Kentucky's brought up in the book, so you need to buy it. So, <laughs> boom, all
1: right, and then. Finally, what is your realist talk? What's the one mantra, the one lesson that you want people to take away? What's the most important thing that that you want people to take away from listening to this that maybe you've mentioned, maybe you haven't, but what is your realist talk?
0: There's a phrase that I tend to share with people that I haven't shared here yet, but that's one I really believe in. Do what you love and the money will follow. And I believe that with all of my heart, if you do what you love and fill in the blank, I hope your listeners are filling in the blank. What is it that you love? Do you love baking cookies? Do you love writing books? Do you love something in the engineering field? Do you fill it in? Do what you love and the money will follow. Don't chase the money. Chase what you love. Chase what, bring your whole cell All the things we've talked about that I believe that with all my heart, do what you love and the money will fall. I've just seen it with so many successful people that they were doing what they loved and serving others and funny how the money flowed in. Mm -hmm. So you can have both. You can have, I don't, I believe you can be successful by the world's standards and that's okay, that's great. I teach in the business school, but you can also be successful and put your head on the pillow at night and go, yeah. The world is better. And if the world wasn't better because of what I did today, you know what? I'm going to accept tomorrow and the world's going to be better tomorrow. I'm going to get at it again. I'm going to keep building my leadership story and I'm going to do what I love and the money will follow.
1: Jamie Ludden, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you do, what you <laughs> contribute to the world, making it a better place. Thank you for <laughs> thank being an awesome instructor and leader and mother and wife and business uh savant i mean i don't even know how to describe you but just uh <laughs> You're just very uh, just, a, kind. just a, uh, awesome thank you so this much this
0: is a joy thank you and thank you for inviting me and reminding me of how honored and privileged i am to be in the university classroom i never want to forget how privileged i am so thank you for that reminder i appreciate it
1: all right guys that's it i hope you enjoyed this episode with jamie ledden I absolutely did. This is awesome. This was just such a great episode and connection and just really, really, I'm humbled and I'm honored that she gave me the time that she did and came on and that we've stayed loosely connected over the years. It's really cool. I I don't know how many people have that kind of a relationship with somebody that they had as a professor in college. I'm probably going to go out on a limb here and say that it's Not a lot. So I think it's just really cool, and I'm tickled by that fact, and uh, maybe we'll get her husband Patrick on at some point, but this was an absolute blast. So thank you so much, Jamie. Coming on, being as vulnerable as you were, sharing, and just being the person that you are. I mean, I just all love. All love, man. All right. Next week, we've got Nick Jordan, another banger of an episode coming out. Nick has... He's a media pro he's a media veteran and he's done a lot of cool things he comes on to share his journey throughout the landscape of social media and creative services and media and it is just an awesome episode and also this is kind of like an origin story if you will My very first radio show ever, I was hosting it with Nikki J, so it was really, really cool to get him on the mics after, it's been almost 10 years, can you freaking believe that? It's like mind blowing to me. But it was a really great episode and I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. So that'll be out next week. I'm turning 30 next week as well, so we're going to have a 30th birthday special coming up after Nikki J and then I've got Andy Sly who is a Tesla influencer and then I'm going to start putting out some Atlanta episodes. I've already got a handful of people that are ready to get on the show. I'm going to be taping with them pretty soon so there's going to be a lot more content and Once I get moved into my apartment in a couple weeks, dude, I'm telling you, we're going to hit the belt line like nobody's business. And this show is really going to take a big step forward. So I'm really excited about that, as well as just my lot in life right now. Things are pretty good. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Mama, look at me now. All right, man, that's it. Please leave a rating and a review if you would be so kind and come back next Wednesday for another great episode. That's all I got. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.